you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to just open it to um, Ephesians. Ephesians, you can have a seat. So, all right. Okay. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to take a look at a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed. But first I want to give you a little backdrop of that story that uh, Darren just told you. And uh, not only, not only uh, was, you know, have I been a blessing in Darren's life, but he has been a major blessing in my life. You see, I planted a church when I was 27 years old and went off and uh, did it the hard way. I was, uh, they used to call it, I was bivocational. Bivocational means you got two jobs, but I was actually tri-vocational. You know what tri-vocational means? It means trying anything to make money. That's what it means. And, uh, and so <clears throat> my wife and our two little boys, we moved to this little town after, after I uh, went to uh, Bible school. We just packed up, moved to this little town and joined joined this group called Converge and hung out with these guys who were planting churches. And, uh, and we went there and, you know, we had a dream of starting 10 churches in 10 years. And God, uh, uh, we basically, we, you know, I shared that dream with my wife and she looked at me and she said, Gary, how are we going to do that? She goes, because I'm not going to live in no RV for 10 years. And I said, I don't know. I just think God wants us to do it. We'll just start all these churches around in southeastern Wisconsin, and, and we'll just, somehow we'll do it. Well, we barely got the first one up and running. And, you know, I was 27, and the only way I was going to start a church is by reaching lost people. And, uh, and, and we just, we reached lost people. We reached people who were far from God, whose lives were broken, and yet God started shaping and changing our lives, and, and a nucleus came together, and, and a church, a church was born. And we gave 10 years of our life to there. And I remember we had, we had, you know, so Darren talks about praying around property. Well, I learned that because that's what I did. I prayed around. We had 50 acres of property in this area that we were praying for. And I would get up and I, uh, every lunchtime I'd walk around that property and pray and ask God to give us the property. And you know what he did? He gave us the property. And then we built a building and, and people were coming into our, into our church and more people were coming to Christ. And, and, uh, and then I used to pray around the property. And then when we got the building up and all this stuff was going on, I started praying in the middle of the property. And I said, okay, God, you gave me this property. Now what do you want me to do with it? And I'll never forget, I was staring at this brand new million dollar plus building we built. And God said, Gary, what if I told you to give it away? What if I said, turn it over to someone else and you, I got something else for you to do? Well, that scared the life out of me. And it scared the life out of my wife. <laughs> you know, God only needs to speak to two people, me and my wife. <laughs> and so my wife and I just started praying about it. And then we get a phone call from a gentleman in Chicago. And he said, you know, we have been dead last in church planting. And I want, to be, I want us to get back in the church planting game. And I, I was really skeptical and said, ah, no, no, this isn't it. Because we've been praying for a larger venue, a larger population area to be a part of. So over a few months, God just started speaking in our hearts, and, and literally, I'll never forget the day, my wife and I were sitting in my office praying, when the Bible talks about fear and trembling. You, you need to understand, you see, the first people that I baptized in my church were my sister and my father. And so we were going to leave our family. And you know, when you, when you plant a church where most of the growth is from people who came to Christ, 
they love you. <laughs> and they don't want to see you go. And so with fear and trembling, my wife and I said, we feel God's calling us to Chicago to head up this new church planting movement that wasn't even going. It wasn't even a movement then. And, uh, and I'll never forget that Sunday, I got up there and I asked the church to send me out. I said, send our family out. Uh, send us, can just send us missionaries to Chicago? You know, <laughs> just send us out. And, uh, and we did that. And I was about a year, two years into it. And, uh, and I'm going, oh, I made the worst mistake of my life. And then all of a sudden, God started bringing people like Darren into my life. And then I started realizing, this is why I left. Because you know what? In my heart, I'm a pastor. I speak in churches every week somewhere, all over the place, different types of churches. But in my heart, I'm really a pastor. And now my, my flock is going to change as I'm pastoring the next generation of leaders, and I'm encouraging them to pastor the next generation of leaders. Well, tonight we're going to look at a prayer that I pray for your church and for the churches that we serve. And I want to, and I want to read this. And, uh, and then we're going to dig into, dig into this text. You're going to get, it's been a full day for me. I've, been, I've heard two great preachers today. I heard uh, Jeffrey Johnson in the morning and got all filled up over there. And I, got, I got, heard a great sermon today by Darren, got all filled up here. And so you're going to get about three sermons today, okay? <laughs> all right. So uh, let's, let's, I'm going to read this text and then uh, as a prayer. And then, um, then we're going to dig in. Starting at verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in this present age but also the one in the one to come and god placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way let's pray father in heaven we come before you and we thank you we thank you for the wonders of your love the wonders of your blessings. We thank you for your amazing grace. And Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the work you're doing here. I thank you for the way you're igniting hearts and lives and filling them with your spirit and with your love. And so, Father, we come today as just humble children, wanting to hear your voice, wanting to hear your spirit speak to our spirits for your honor, for your glory, 
and for the expansion of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, as I, I've, I've been a follower of Jesus now for 30, 30 plus years. And I've, I've learned some things in my life. I've learned, I've learned that, uh, you know, the, the Bible talks about there's the flesh and there's the spirit, right? And, I, and I've, learned, I've learned some things in my life that, you know, sometimes I can come to church, I can come to church with a bucket in my hand, or I can come to church with a torch in my hand. You know, there, there's two types of people in the world. There's bucket carriers and there are torch bearers. All right? And so a bucket carrier, and I think we, we got a list up here. We got the PowerPoint going? Okay. We got a list up here of, of, of you know, what, what's, a, what's a bucket carrier? Well, a bucket carrier is, is someone uh, who basically walks into a situation, and what they do, they, they focus on what's wrong. They focus on what's wrong. Oh, someone didn't say hi to me, or someone, you know, they focus, they just focus on the negative. Like Darren talked about today, you know what? There's going to be a lot of bad things that happen to you this year. Are you going to focus on the bad things, or are you going to focus on the, on the good things that are happening? You know, a, a bucket carrier focuses on what's wrong, but, but a torchbearer is a person who focuses on what's right. They focus on what's right. They see the world through the eyes of faith. I love Barnabas. Barnabas is my hero. Barnabas is one of the model, model leaders that I, that I try to emulate. But Barnabas w walked into this situation, and, he, and he, was, he was actually going to check out this church because the, the elders, the rulers— uh, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem sent them to the city of Antioch and said, hey, something's going on there. Check it out. Make sure everything's happening the way it should happen. And so he went there. And you know what it says? It says in the text in, in the book of Acts that when Barnabas went there and he saw the people worshiping God, you know what it says? He saw the grace of God. Do you have eyes to see the grace of God working around you? And working in people's lives. See, torchbearers focus on what's right. You know, uh, uh, bucket carriers possess what I call a questioning spirit. They're always asking. They're always asking questions to produce doubt and fear and pessimism. But what torchbearers they ask good questions. We're not afraid of questions, but ask questions that produce faith, that produce hope, that draw the best out of people. Bucket carriers promote dissension. They promote dissension. They see that, that little piece of gossip that, that kind of makes its way around, right? And, and, and what do they do? They push it on. They push it on, right? But no, what, what, is a, what does a torchbearer do? A torchbearer burns it up. They burn it up. You know, they, they work to promote unity. It's a very interesting in, in, in Paul's letter to the, to the Ephesians, he talks about this whole idea of, of working hard at protecting the unity of the church. See, unity isn't something passively pursued, it's something aggressively pursued, and we need to work hard at it. Bucket carriers quench the spirit with their water, right? They quench the work of the spirit. They, 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 and what do torchbearers do? They fuel it. They light people up. They light people up. You know, the Apostle Paul has two prayers in, in the book of Ephesians. And one of the things I would really encourage you to do is, and I've been doing this for a long time, I would encourage you to pray the prayers of the Bible. Pray the prayers. You want to deepen your, your prayer life this year? Pray the prayers of the Bible for yourself and for your loved ones and for your church and for your leaders. 
And Paul has two prayers. The, the first prayer, the prayer, this prayer in, in Ephesians is, is a prayer that, that he's praying that, that they would get enlightened, that they, they, they would experience enlightenment. They would understand the, the wonders and the mystery of the gospel and the work of God through the, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 3, he's got another great prayer. A prayer, of, a prayer of strengthening that they would understand how to, how to live out and experience the love of God and how to live out the love of God uh, in their world and in their community. We're just going to focus on this prayer because it's a prayer of enlightenment. Paul, Paul wants, if you want to be a torchbearer, you've got to be lit up. That's what he, he wants to lighten you up. You know, Paul was the greatest torchbearer that ever lived. He went, into, he went into places where there was so much spiritual darkness and depravity. And he went there and he lit up communities and he established lighthouses of God's love. See, that's what you got to think of when, when a new church is started. It's a lighthouse of God's love. It's a lighthouse of God's love to, to shine the light of Christ in a dark world. Well, today we're going to look at three things, three things that kind of help you light up your life, how, how, to, how to keep your torch trimmed, and how to help you drop the buckets that we carry, right? Because you know what? We can drop them, and it's so easy and so tempted to pick it up again, right? And, uh, you know, but we got to drop them, we got to let that torch shine. Three things, three things real quickly. Number one. The first thing, if you're going to become a torchbearer, if you're going to let God light up your life, the first thing you do is, is, number one, by cultivating a grateful attitude or a thankful spirit. You know, Paul says here, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you always in my prayers. You know, I'm just amazed. I'm amazed that, you know what, we just went through the holiday season, right? And a lot of you got gifts, right? I'm so amazed at how, how, how new things get old. I'm so amazed at how, how I can be so grateful in one moment and ungrateful in the next. I mean, gratitude is something we got to work at. Something that we have to cultivate. And you even see the Apostle Paul here. You know, he knew there were problems in this church. He knew there were problems and issues in the church. And yet he, he speaks to them with confidence and with love and with faith. And he says, he, says, he, says, he says in verse 15, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. See, we need to learn how to cultivate gratitude in our lives. It takes work to do that. Three little, three little words that help me cultivate a grateful heart. A thankful spirit. Three little words. Expect, look, and tell. This is sermon one. I got three sermons, okay? Expect, look, and tell. Expect, look, and tell. One, expect God to work in your situation. Expect God to be at work in others. See, that's the faith principle. See, we're supposed to live our lives by faith, not by sight. And we walk into situations with faith, with the eyes of faith. And we look for God, and then we look to see how God is working in other people. We look for the things that only God can do. You know when you know when people at work are talking about the Bible? That means God's at work there. Because you know what? People don't talk about the Bible just to talk about the Bible. That means God's at work, and so we need to join him at work there. If someone comes to you as a friend and says, you know, I know you're a Christian, and uh, explain to me about this. Whoa, God's at work right there. 
And so we need to look at the things. You know, there are certain, certain things that God does in a human heart that cannot be done. God gives people love for God's word. God's give, God gives people love for God's word. I'll never forget when I became a Christian. God gave me a love for his word that I never had before. Instead of being in the bars five nights a week, I ended up being in Bible studies five nights a week. I mean, and then, and then, and then, and then all of a sudden I had this strange affinity for God's people. I mean, I, find out, I found out a person's a Christian, and I'm like, wow, you're a Christian? Cool! <laughs> and it was like, I wouldn't have hung out with those people before. I mean, he gives you a love for God's people. He gives you a love for God's word. He gives you a love for God's cause, for God's mission. He gives you a love for sharing God's truth with other people. There are certain things that only God can do it. And so we need to look. We need to look for those things. And then the last thing, we need to tell others. We need to tell others how God's at work in them. And that's what the apostle Paul was doing here. Paul said, ever since I heard about your faith, ever since I heard about your love, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. You know, when we thank people, we're not patting them on the back to build up their ego. You know what we're doing? When we thank people, when we notice people, we notice people who are, who, are, who, are, who are serving God, who are being grateful, who are being generous. When we notice these people, you know what we're doing? We're reinforcing the work of God in their life. That's what, that's what we do. That's, it's the reinforcement principle. We're reinforcing what God is doing in their life. And we're fueling it so that they'll keep going on that path. You know, one of the healthy, one of the marks of a healthy church is that there's a spirit. There is a spirit of affirmation. A spirit of affirmation. Your pastor is one of the most affirming pastors out there. He keeps me going. He keeps building me up. And, and every time I hear him, yes, we should do that. You know, in my new role as uh, the president of our, our fellowship here and overseeing 200 churches, I see, the, I, see the, I see the worst of the church and I see the best of the church. <laughs> and I'll tell you, some days, some days... You know, it's pretty tough, and your pastor comes alongside, and he just encourages me and invites me down here to be encouraged by you and to see what God is doing here. But, you know, there's a spirit of affirmation. How many, how many of you uh, like, get, like getting those little thank you notes? You know, I mean, they're little chicken scratch thank you notes, right? Right? And, and I, don't, I don't know what it is about those crazy notes, but I, I get one of those, and it just fills me up. It just reminds me that I was loved, needed, and wanted by somebody at some time, right? And, 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 and I don't know what it is, but it just does it. We all like getting those. How many of you like getting those notes? All right, most of you, right? Most of you. Those of you who don't, you need to start liking it. <laughs> but, you know, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you wrote somebody in your church just a note of encouragement? When's the last time you wrote one to Pastor Darren? When's the last time you wrote one to, to the staff, to the musicians, to the singers, to those taking care of the children? When's the last time you wrote one to those who work behind the scenes and making all this happen? You see, one of the marks of a healthy church is there's a spirit of affirmation in the church. When's the last time you wrote a thank you note to the, to, to the pastor's 
the Lurie, pastor's wife, or, or to the staff's wives. Because it's tough being a pastor's wife. It's tough being staff wives. See, create that spirit of affirmation. And you know what? That fuels the flame of God's love in your heart. It lights you up. It lights people up around you. The second, the second thing we see in this text is, is Paul, Paul, Paul praying for them. And in verse 17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The second thing is to pray. Pray, to, pray and ask God, I want, need to know, I want to know you better, Lord. I want to know you better. Paul prayed the prayer for them that they would know God better. You know, what does it mean to know God better? What does it mean to know God better? You know, I thought, I thought it meant, you know, I just, you know, number one, uh, we'll look, we get some points here. This is sermon number two. Knowing God better, it's more than just factual knowledge. It's more than just pumping Bible. I used to think if I just pumped enough Bible in my brain, I would get to know God better. If I just pumped enough Bible in my brain, then I would get to know better. And, and, you know, it's more than that. I mean, Bible study is important. And you know what? I would encourage you this year to start off your year reading through the Bible. Just letting the Word of God soak into your heart and soul. You know, there's these great programs out there now. I've been, I've been reading, through, listening to the Bible. You can listen to the Bible online, free, and it's, oh, it's cool, coolest thing ever. And I've been just listening to the Bible and letting the words of God just soak into my heart and in my soul. You know, P- Pastor Darren said today, you know what? Too many times we're just, we're, just, we're just nursing our fears when we need to be nourishing our faith. And one of the ways you nourish your faith is by what? Pouring the word of God into your heart and into your soul. Factual knowledge. But you know what? It's more than that. Knowing God is more than just factual knowledge. Knowing God is more than just zealous energy. I just, I always just think, if I could just be more passionate about God, if I could be more passionate about prayer, more passionate about sharing my faith, then I would get to know God better, right? Well, it's more than that. It's more than just zealous energy. You know, people, people who have a lot of factual knowledge, you know, they, they think they're real deep. They can end up being muddy sometimes. And then there's people out there who have all this zealous energy, and they, they have all this zealous energy and all this movement and passion, but you know what? They can end up being real shallow at times too. See, knowing God is more than, than factual knowledge. It's more than zealous energy, and it's, and it's more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling. You know, when I came to Christ, I came to Christ of the drug culture of the 70s. And uh, those of you who remember the 70s, okay? <laughs> and, and, uh, and so my buddies and I, we'd go, we'd go to this one church in the morning, and this, church, this was a church where, they, man, the Bible was preached, the Bible was preached, the Bible was preached. And, and then we'd go to this other church Sunday night, and that was more of an experiential church, and, and it was just, it was great, and all of us would get the Holy Spirit buzz, See, now, see, those, those who are from the 70s understand that, right? The Holy Spirit buzz. I mean, we come on, we got the Holy Spirit buzz, yeah, but you know what happens? That buzz wears off. Usually wears off when someone cuts you off when you're going out in the parking lot, right? <laughs> see, knowing God is, it's, it's, all those things are important. You know, I went to Eastern Star this morning, man, I got the Holy Spirit buzz. I came here, I got the Holy Spirit buzz, but you know, it wears off. 
because you got to watch the Colts lose. <laughs> right? But you know, we see the positive because they were the worst team last year, and now they're in the playoffs this year, and you got a great future ahead of you. Right? Well, you can clap for that. Go ahead. <laughs> what does it mean to know God? But here's a little definition right out of this verse. Here's a little definition I've come up with. How, what does it mean to know God better? Knowing God is an intimate awareness of God's character and desires which finds its source in the Holy Spirit. Knowing God is an intimate awareness of God's character and desires which finds its source in the Holy Spirit. Now let me explain this. This is right from our text. He says here, he says here in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That little phrase, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, what does that mean? Let's talk about revelation first, the spirit of revelation. The spirit of revelation is when God unveils, God unveils his character and his desires deep within our hearts. I was 20 years old and went to a Billy Graham crusade. I didn't even know who the guy was. My girlfriend got me there. And uh, eventually she became my wife. But she took me to this Billy Graham crusade, and, uh, and so we, we, we went there. <clears throat> and uh, and you know, they had the music going, and they had the, um, you know, the testimonies, all the stuff happening. And then all of a sudden, Billy Graham started speaking. And it was like his arms reached up in the balcony. And I, I was sitting up in the upper grandstands because I didn't want to be around any of those Christian people, you know. And, uh, and, and they, it, was just, it was just me, my girlfriend, and a couple of ushers. And it was like all of a sudden, Billy Graham reached up and grabbed me by the collar and said, young man, I got something to say to you today. And I sat there with my mouth open like I was in a trance. And God was unveiling his holiness in my heart. And I felt dirty, and I felt confused, and I just, I, I, I felt unworthy. Because God was unveiling his holiness in my heart. And I sat there. I really just sat there and stared at my, and to the point where my girlfriend nudged me and said, Gary, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know. I think this guy's talking to me. And she said, well, Gary, maybe that's God talking to you. Whoa, God talking to me in Milwaukee County Stadium? And then Billy Graham started talking about the love of God expressed through Jesus Christ. And all those feelings of guilt and unfeeling unworthy started changing because all of a sudden I understood that what someone died in my place. And I started, what God started unveiling his love deep within my soul and deep within my spirit. And it propelled me to throw my life on Jesus. You know, when we worship today, it's like every time we worship, we're just throwing our lives on Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one that can save us. Jesus is the only one that can save us. I'm sure that's happened to you. 
I'm sure there's been a moment where God, through His Spirit, unveiled His character deep within your heart. And that was the day I became a Christian. When I surrendered my life to Jesus. Six months later, God unveiled his, his desires deep within my spirit. Yeah, I started going to church. All of a sudden, I, you know, I was going to church, you know, going to Bible studies five nights a week, going to church three hours on Sunday, and anytime they had something going, I was there. I ended up going to a missionary conference. I didn't even know what a missionary was. Ended up stumbling into this missionary conference, and, and all of a sudden, this, this man from Hong Kong started preaching. This missionary from Hong Kong started preaching, and he said, he said these words that unveiled God's desires, God's desire in my heart. He said these words. He said, you know, all you Christians here in America, all you do is fight with each other. While millions and millions of people are dying each day without even hearing the name of Jesus. Oh, I, was, I, felt those, I felt those same things again. I, all of a sudden, I was like, wow, what's going on here? You know, I was, I was transfixed. I was numb. I was confused. And, and so the next day, I went to work and, and uh, met with a man who was mentoring me. And he had been a missionary. And I said to him, I just said, we started off our lunchtime. I said, I said, Ray, what's a missionary do? And he began to explain to me lots of different types of missionaries out there. And, and then he asked me the big question, Gary, why are you asking me this? And I said, I don't know. I think God wants me to be one of those. And he says, well, if you're going to be a missionary, you need to get a good Bible, Bible foundation, get a good, you know, um, think through what you believe real, really, really well. And, uh, and so my wife and I, we quit our jobs, and we moved to Chicago, and I found a school that had the name Bible in it, and I went to it. <laughs> That's how I picked it. <laughs> and that started our journey. But that was the day God unveiled his desires for my life. See, knowing God is an intimate awareness of God's character and desires, which finds its source in the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says. He says this. He says the spirit of wisdom. What does he mean by that? The spirit of wisdom. What he's talking about there is when we practically display God's character, when we practically display God's desires to the world. You know, we've got three grown children, and my boys, when they were, when they were younger, we used to do what I used to call holiness train. This is for the youth here, okay? But it's also for the adults. <laughs> my boys would go out as teenagers. They would go out uh, on Friday night with their friends, and they had this little mantra in our house. And it was, uh, it was basically, I'd say, son, you know what I'm going to say? Oh, yeah, dad, we know, we know, we know. And they, they had this mantra, you know, sin's a boomerang. It'll always find you out, right? <laughs> It'll always come back to get you. You know, there's consequences to that. And so, you know, I'm doing that with my kids, but you know what? As I'm doing that with my kids, I'm reminding myself that there are consequences to my actions and my thoughts and my deeds. And see, as I express God's holiness to others, what? I experience God's holiness in my life. As you serve others, right, you experience God. You get to know God better. God, you know, knowing God is an intimate awareness 
of God's character and desires, which finds its source in the Holy Spirit. Knowing God is when we, when we experience God's holiness and God's character and God's desires and when we express it to others. Let's look at the final, final thing we see in this letter. He goes on in verse 18, and he takes his prayer, he turns it up a notch. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. The eyes of your heart. What's he mean by that? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You see, I think what he's talking about here is he's asking God to to get a bigger picture of who he is and what he's accomplished through the wonders of the gospel. See, it's not only getting a bigger picture of who God is, but it's a bigger picture of what God has accomplished through the gospel. You know, everybody in this room has a picture. If you were to, put, if you were to close your eyes, on the back of your eyelids, you have a picture of who God is. You know, I heard a woman was asked a question. She had been suffering with breast cancer, and she was asked the question, what's your picture of God right now? You know what she said? She said, my picture of God is that his hands are in his pockets, and he doesn't want to help me. You know, that was her real picture. And what she needed was a pastor, a counselor, a Christian friend to come alongside her and to say, I know that's your experience. But the truth is, is that God's hands are outstretched to you. And God loves you so much that his son died on the cross for you. And he wants to wrap his arms of love around you and he wants to carry you through this season in your life and this pain. I asked a teenager once who got in trouble with the law I said, what's your picture of God right now? You know what he said to me? He said, he's the big boss. He's the big boss. And I said, well, you know, that's, that's half right. <laughs> he's the big boss. But you know what? He's not only just this big boss, but he's a tender father. And you know, you did some things that messed up your life right now, but you know what? He wants to wrap your, his arms of love around you. He wants to carry you through that to the other side. What's your picture of God right now? You know, this world wants to shrink our picture of God. You know what? There are external forces that want to shrink it. Life wants to shrink our picture of God, and we need to fight that. We need to, we need to pray, continue to pray, God, give me a bigger picture of who you are. You know, our family has gone through some stuff this year. You know, a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, my dad went in for surgery, and they were going to operate, and, and, uh, and then they couldn't do the operation because uh, they found cancer. And so he was, you know, he went in, sur- went in surgery on Monday, found out he had cancer on Thursday, and then his wife had a gallbladder attack, and she went into the hospital on Saturday, and... Uh, and then they took out her gallbladder and they found out that she had cancer also. And so she was diagnosed with cancer on Wednesday and died Thursday. Now, you know, 
it's like life wants to shrink your picture of God. And you know, it's, 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 it's all quaint to say, oh, yeah, I'm thankful, I'm thankful for all that. But you know what? There, there's real pain in that. And I'm walking with my dad through his grief and his longing, and he knows that she's, she's in heaven with Jesus. But there's still that aching pain of missing her. You know, the world wants to shrink our picture of God. The enemy wants to shrink our picture of God. And that's why we need to get on our knees. We say, God, give me a bigger picture of who you are and help me to see you in the midst of all this stuff and to see you working it out for your honor and for your glory. You know what happens when people get a bigger picture of God? Paul goes on and says three things happen. Three things happen to people when they get an ever-expanding view of who God is and what God wants to do in our lives. The first mark is, he, he said, and look at the next verse. He says, uh, in order that, and that's a key phrase there, in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. You see, when, when people get marked, with, get a bigger picture of who God is, their, their lives get marked with hope. Not, not a hope so, not a wish for, not an not a, not a optimistic spirit, but what? A deep abiding hope that rests in the promises of God and not in, not, in, not in this world and in this life. A hope that carries you through the pain and the sorrow. The hope that what? That bubbles over out of your life to others. A hope that is real, it's not plastic, it's not fake, that is real and lasting and carries you through the stuff that this life brings your way. Paul goes on, and, and the next thing, next thing happens, if a person gets an ever-expanding view of God, he says, he says, in order that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You see, people understand their worth in God's economy. They become a person of immense worth and value. What? Not because of themselves, but because of what God has done for them. You see, understanding the context of this passage, in chapter 1, verse, verse 3, Paul goes on, in the first 14 verses, he talks about these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Look what he says here. Praise be to the God and Father of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with what? All and every spiritual blessing. Not some, not half of them, not a few of them, but every spiritual blessing that we have in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have what? Every spiritual blessing available to you. And you know what? If you would go through this, this little chapter here, you could start listing the different blessings. He's blessed us. He's chosen us. He's predestined us. He's lavished on us. He's freely given us. You know, all these things, all these blessings. You know, I used to go to motivational conferences, and they would tell you, you need to do your daily affirmations. You know, you ever been to a motivational seminar, right? Okay. I mean, they just pump you up, right? Want to make you feel good. And then they tell you, you got to go pump yourself up every morning to feel good. 
and they say, get your list of affirmations. And so you go, you know, I look great today. I'm going to make this deal today. You know, I'm going to, you know, all, all this stuff, right? And I mean, and it's all based on what? It's all based on my belief. <laughs> it's not, you know, but here's the thing. As a Christian, we can have daily affirmations that are based upon God's word and God's blessings and God's promises. We stand on God's truth and not the truth of man. People who have an ever-expanding view of God are people marked with hope. They're marked with immense worth. And they're people who have a deep inner strength. Look at what he says here. And is incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the, at the hands in heavenly realms. You and I, when we get a ever-expanding view of who God, what we tap into his immense power that gives us what? Deep inner strength. Strength that says, I'm not going to quit. Strength that says, I'm not going to quit on that relationship. Strength that says, I'm not going to quit on my marriage. Strength that says, I'm not going to quit on my church. Strength that says, I'm not going to quit on my Bible study. Strength that says, I'm not going to quit. We have the power of the resurrection available to us. You know, in California, they have these power outages, rolling power outages, right? Rolling power outages. And, and you know, the reason, you know, in, 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 in our Christian life, we have rolling power, power outages. Because we're not, what? We're either pick, we're not, we're picking up the bucket instead of lighting the torch. And people who have experienced long droughts of power outages is because they're not connected to the source. And Jesus is the source. If we get an ever-expanding view of God, our lives are marked with hope, they're marked with immense worth, and they're marked with a deep inner strength that says, I'm going to push through even though I feel like quitting. Some of you made resolutions. How many of you have already messed them up? <laughs> We're going to keep pushing through, right? You know what? I've been speaking to you as individuals. Now I'm going to just take a few moments. Because this letter, this prayer is not for individuals. This prayer was for a church. A group of people. A people gathered like Heartland here. It was for a church and so what happens if we apply this to a church? What happens to a church when it gets an ever-expanding view of who God is? What happens to a church when it gets lit up by the light of God's love? You know what happens? Three things. They become a place, a church of hope is a safe place. And I love Heartland. Heartland is a safe place. The guilt-free zone, right? Come as you are. Amen. Amen. Yes. Bring your stuff, because Jesus is big enough to handle it. Amen. Right? A church of immense worth can be a blessing. A church of immense worth can be a blessing. You know how many churches I deal with that I have, that I have what I call just self-esteem problems? You ever meet people with self-esteem problems? They can't bless anybody. Because you know what? They're thinking about themselves. And I go to churches. They're all huddled up together. And I'm trying to get them ignited so that they're fulfilled the, the, the original vision that started them. But, you know, churches that have 
self-esteem problems can't bless anybody. But churches that understand their worth in God's economy, understand their purpose in, God, in this world, they can be a blessing. And man, Heartland has been a blessing. Heartland has been a blessing, a blessing to this community and to the world, and has been a blessing to our fellowship multiple, multiple times and ways. And I just want to thank God for you for that. You have been a blessing. You know, I told Pastor when he came here, I said, you need to get involved in the community. You need to get involved in the community. And you know what? He's gotten involved in the community. <laughs> he has dug in, and, and God has used him in multiple ways in, uh, in, in this community, and it's been a blessing. And then the last, the last thing is a church with deep inner strength is an unstoppable force. It's an unstoppable force. It's an unstoppable force. My family and I, we, my two boys and my dad and my brothers, um, we go fishing in Canada once a year. And we, uh, we go up there, um, and we've gone there for a number of years. And, uh, and so we go up there, and when my kids were little, what they would do is they would take a stick and they'd poke it in the fire. How many have ever done that, where you poke a stick in the fire? And then you kind of hold them and go, woo, 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 right, right, kind of cool. I mean, we've all done that. My, my kids were, do, when they were little, that's what they would do. But then, but then when my kids got older and became teenagers, they're going, Dad, you know, the stick in the fire thing, it doesn't cut it anymore. We want to build a torch. And I said, oh, okay. So, well, tell me about this. Because I got, I got kind of interested, right? I'm, I'm glad, you know, they at least asked me for their permission. And so they said, well, I want to build this torch. And I said, okay, tell me about it. Well, you know, Tyler, that's my nephew, he left his sock out, you know. And so we're going to take his sock and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, because it's a guy trip, you know. I mean, it's just, you know, clothes everywhere and all sorts of stuff. And, uh, and so we're going to take that sock and we're going to wrap it around the stick. And then we're going to take a big ball of twine you guys got. And we're going to wrap it around that and wrap it around that. And then what we're going to do, Dad, you, you know, you, you, cook the, you cook the fish, you fry up the fish in this big vat of cooking oil. He says, what we're going to do is we're going to dip it in there, Dad. And soak it up really good. And I said, well, that's good, but uh, number one, I don't want that stinky sock in my cooking oil. <laughs> and so, oh, okay. I said, I said, let me help you. See, I got interested in this. Let me help you. So what we did is we, we soaked it up. I poured cooking oil all over it, poured it all over. And then my son, he was, he was about 12 at the time. It was, it was his idea. So I said, you get to light the torch. And so he puts the torch. You know, we're, we're miles from hospitals and all sorts of stuff. You just understand that, okay? So, you know, he gets the stick, and he, he, gets, he put, puts it in the fire. And, I mean, it's really dark outside. And, and uh, <clears throat> he lights it in. And all of a sudden, whoosh, this thing's like taking off, you know? And, and, I mean, there's hot oil dripping all over the place. And I'm going, oh, no. And I could see his face. He was like, <laughs> you know, he's holding that stick, and he's trembling, and. And, uh, and, 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 and then all of a sudden, I'm not kidding you, it was just like a little miracle. All of a sudden, whoosh, it turned into a perfect torch. Just like you see on Survivor or something like that. And all of a sudden, his face went from, went from like fear to all of a sudden, wow, this is cool, this is great, 
look at this. And there's this pride, and all of us started getting beaming full of pride and joy. And I said, I said, okay, go walk down the old dirt road. And let's see how far you can light up the light up the area. And so he walks down this dirt road, and it was amazing how this how this little torch just illuminated and ate away the darkness. And I said, son, I said, why don't you go out and go out on the uh, on the point, and I'll, I'll go up on the bluff, and I'll see if I can see you from there. And so he went out on the point, and he emerged out of the darkness and came out on that point, and I was on the bluff, and also I hear this voice, hey, Dad, can you see me? I said, yes, son, I can see you, and I can see him holding that torch, and I can see my, my nephews running around under the light, having a great time, and, and all of a sudden God spoke to me, boom. And he said, Gary, that's what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to look like. A light, a light in the midst of darkness. You know what, you go out today and I hope your light is a little more trimmed. You know, we come together as a, as a church and you know what, we bring our collective lights together and it becomes a large torch. When we work together in starting new churches, we're what? Lighting up new lighthouses of God's love. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what 2012 did to you, but I know that 2013 can be a lot better. Maybe you're clinging on to your bucket. Maybe today you can drop it. And you can pick up your torch and say, Jesus, use me. Use me to light up my home. Use me to light up my neighborhood. Use me to light up this city, this state, this country for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you for your amazing love and your amazing power. And I thank you for this amazing church. Father, help us to let go of the stuff of 2012. Help us not, like, like one man said, hang on to our past with one hand. <laughs> help us to let it go and put it into your hands. And help us to cultivate grateful hearts and help us to know you better and help us to get a bigger picture of who you are. So we can take your light and your love wherever we go, touching whoever we meet. In Jesus' name, amen.